Hi, I'm Carrie. And I'm Emily. And we are the voices of Tarbis. In a nutshell, we travel to different historical places and events and we blog about them. But we wanted to try a different medium, so we're branching out into podcasts. Each week we'll have a chat about different periods of history, important events and extraordinary people in one way or another. And we'll round it all off with a relevant, ridiculous death. So, sit back, grab a drink and enjoy Tarbis After Hours. Hello and welcome to this week's episode. In honour of International Talk Like a Pirate Day on Wednesday 19th September, this week's episode is all about pirates. Ahoy me hearties! Shiver me timbers! Shut up you scurvy sea dog! Please, please stop. You said pirates, I spoke like a pirate. You said International Talk Like a Pirate Day, I spoke like a pirate. The thing is, pirates didn't talk like that. Right now, I'm talking like a pirate. No, I was talking like a pirate. You were talking like an actor who played a pirate in an adaptation of Treasure Island who happened to speak with a very strong like Bristol West Country accent. Not an actual pirate. See, if pirates all spoke with one language or one accent, then they'd all be very, very weird and like the Spanish and the French ones would be very confused. So, sorry. In fact, a lot of the pirate myths that we have came from Treasure Island. Peg legs, parrots, things like that. All from Treasure Island. All a myth, I'm afraid. Wow, I'm not sure how I'm going to feel by the end of this podcast, if I'm honest. This is one of the things where sometimes truth is stranger and more brutal than fiction. Okay. Now, we're talking about the proper swashbuckling, shanty singing, rum swigging, scourges of the seven seas. That much is true. But that isn't a limit of piracy. See, it's just an example of what's called the golden age of piracy. And that lasted from the mid-17th to the early 18th centuries. But... First, we should probably start thinking about what we actually mean by the word pirate, because it wasn't as straightforward as it seems. No, there were a few different types of pirates. Um, The first type uh, we're going to speak about are buccaneers. Mm -hmm. They were actually pirates. Um, They were most active in the 1650s to the 1680s, so only for like 30 years. Um, They were semi-legal people of the sea um, who attached... Attached? attacked Spanish ships and uh, settlements. So they were, uh, some of the stuff they did was actually legal and they were able to do it. So the first thing I think about pirates is, you know, doing the illegal stuff. Mm-hmm. But these weren't, buccaneers, they weren't. Um, they were mainly consisting of English, French and Dutch. Okay. Um, their name came from the French... Bucanier, was it? Yes, Bucanier, which obviously isn't the easiest word, so buccaneers is obviously better um it was originally made and sold they were selling jerky mm-hmm. it was originally made and sold to um, to the corsairs that i'll be talking about in a second who are another type of pirate see this is where it gets complicated we have to remember that there are loads of different types so the corsairs were pirates that operated particularly on the barbary coast and attacked mostly western european coastal cities including but not limited to ireland portugal spain and france now, you don't really think about pirates being that close to home. You think about, like, in the Caribbean and the West Indies. Definitely. I would just think of Caribbean, if I'm honest. Yeah, but pirates in Ireland. Wow. Yeah. Um, they also captured and sold Christian slaves across the Ottoman Empire because the vast majority of corsairs were sailors from the Ottoman Empire. So Muslims. Oh. Yeah. So, um, and that was going on at the same time as the slave trade, capital S, capital T. So there's a lot of, I mean, a lot of piracy was part of the slave trade as well. Oh. 
So, um, as well as the Corsairs, they were operating about the same time as the Buccaneers, towards the early part of the Golden Age. Right, okay, but then you've also got the privateers. Mm-hmm. Um, they engaged in warfare yeah. and piracy against ships of a rival nation under the authority of a particular country through um, letters of mark. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, a... It's like a licence, isn't it, a letter of mark? Yes, attached um, to attach and capture, and they could then apply to keep their plunder. So kind of it seems like they would... Sounds very modern. They came across another ship that was different to theirs, mm-hmm. and they would then steal. But then that com- they could then apply to get it back. Yeah, I mean they had to go through an admiralty court, so it wasn't always easy. No, a lot of the time it did. And it's interesting that you say modern because um, post American Civil War, there's no real record of um, Americans having or the American nation having engaged privateers. However. During World War Two, they gave their equivalent of a letter of mark to a couple of submarines who went and hunted down U-boats. Oh, so, so it actually genuinely is modern then? Yeah, it genuinely is. As close as well. I mean, we know that there is pirate activity still going on today, and apparently pirate activity accounts for about £3 billion worth, or $3 billion worth of the loss of international sea trade per year. But um, Wow. We still have privateers going on, so we still have actual old age piracy going on as well as modern piracy that's cool it really is but you know um in our very first episode we spoke about the tudors mm-hmm. one of uh, elizabeth the first's favorites mm-hmm. sir francis drake he was a pirateer yeah he's actually a pirateer and um but he was made illegal with um, the declaration of paris and this was in um 1856 yeah so all the countries at the time were going to war that's how they could then sort of engage their own privateers to fight against rival nations but when the war stopped it was everybody against the pirates funny story about francis drake Mm -hmm. he was a pirate but he wasn't a very very good one in that he buried treasure and then the spanish authorities found it not long after so he didn't bury it very well wow that's (laughs) great he was good with the spanish armada but not so much yeah and now we come to the main men themselves the pirates a pirate attacks, seizes, or destroys ships at sea or harbours as well. So it's not always at mm. sea. They attack and sack harbours. Um, they also dealt in smuggling and the slave trade, both with and without capital s and All of this was for mostly personal reasons, not necessarily political. So they were illegal pretty much everywhere. <laughs> and uh, the penalty was most usually death. I mean, a lot of the times they could commute it like being life imprisonment or working for if for lesser crimes but on the whole if you were a pirate it was it was hanging and they would usually display your body somewhere quite prominent so as to deter other pirates didn't work but they tried well, you gotta give them that yeah. so there was the four different types of pirates um you got the buccaneers the privateers the corsiers and the pirates yeah i mean there were other subcategories in between that yeah there, um, there would be but uh, those are the four main groups. They're the notable ones. Mm-hmm. So we talked about um, pirates, mm-hmm. but um, they are not a recent concept. Are they not? No. Julius Caesar was captured by pirates. Can you imagine? Julius Caesar, like the Julius Caesar, was captured by pirates. Um, Marco Polo wrote about pirates mm-hmm. in India in 1290. Yeah. Um, they became most notorious in the 14th sorry, 17th and 18th centuries 
due to the expansion into the new world. Makes sense. There's a lot of new territory to conquer, and it was kind of, because it was still being set up, it was fairly lawless. Yeah, the plantations in the West Indies caused towns to, like, spring up, mm-hmm. and uh, many, like... Like Tortuga and Nassau, wasn't it, if yeah. I remember rightly? Uh, were prime spots for pirate activity. Well, Nassau was Nassau and Port Royal were actually two of the main pirate bases, mm-hmm. um, and Nassau was renowned for its piracy. And there were many, many attempts by mostly the British government to try and overthrow Nassau, uh, the pirates there, and set up a British governance there, but it didn't really work. And they had to use increasingly violent methods. Yeah, I've been to Nassau. Have you? Mm-hmm. I'd love to go to Nassau just because of the the pirate connection, and they have some awesome music. They do, and shops. Yeah. And weather. Weather and seas. Mm. Nassau, Nassau is, yeah, England, Nassau. Yeah. I can see why the pirates are favourite. Yeah, shockingly enough. Yeah. Uh, so, we've talked about types of pirates. Yeah. So, now about, how about some actual notable pirates that you may or may not have heard of? See, some of these... Infamous. Yeah. One you, you definitely will have heard. Mm-hmm. Unless, you, unless you live in a cave, I'm pretty sure you would have heard of one of these guys. But let's start with the guy that I've, I've affectionately nicknamed the like the grandpa of uh, <laughs> of it. Now I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie here. I watched the TV series Black Sails. Yep. On Amazon Prime, and it was absolutely it's fantastic TV series. I really enjoyed it, and it was great seeing a lot of these characters brought to life. But when you actually read up around them, you're kind of a little bit reluctant to uh, to glamorise them quite so much. But the first one we're gonna start off with was Benjamin Hornigold. Now, his most notable ship was the Marianne, and he actually started out as a privateer. He wasn't a pirate at first, he was a privateer. Um, He was most active between 1713 to 1717, so not very long, but bear in mind, a lot of pirates were not active for a very long time, because life at sea was hard. Mm. I mean, you've you've got the storms, you've got the battles and everything, but one of the worst things a pirate can face is being becalmed. And that happened a lot in, in those kind of waters. No wind, no waves. Literally, the sea is just glass. Oh. And if you're on a ship that is pretty much your main mode of forward movement is wind through sails, you're buggered. Yeah, you're not um, moving. No. I mean, some had oars to counter for that. But if you've been, say, becalmed, and sometimes this could last for, for days or weeks on end, you'd have to cut down your food rations... You'd have to cut down your water rations, because bear in mind it's salt water, so they'd have to have barrels of fresh water, which would eventually go stagnant. So you'd have to cut down your water rations to the point where most of your men wouldn't get them, and only the important ones would, and you wouldn't have the energy to do to use the oars. So you'd be praying and praying and praying for some breath of wind. Wow. And you could literally spend weeks like that, and entire crews could perish just because there was not a breath of wind. So yeah, the weather was great. Not always great. They should just have stayed around the UK. There's plenty of wind here. Plenty of wind, but also the British Navy. Yeah. yeah I mean, still is best Navy in the world. But um, that's why they didn't last so long. So that's why it's not a surprise that Horny Gold was only active for four years. Um, what happened with him was he eventually accepted an amnesty from the British government. So um, they granted him amnesty in return for him helping them. However, he got this amnesty wasn't going to be killed as a pirate, then died in a shipwreck not long after. Wow. Yeah. So uh, he, he got off scot-free and then got killed in a shipwreck. 
That's so unfortunate. Bless him. He tried his hard. You could say it was uh, the sea taking back, taking back punishment for him turning, <laughs> turning coat. Right. So uh, another notorious pirate that you uh, may or may not have heard of is Edward Lowe, mm. but mostly known as Ned Lowe. Um, he was um, around from 1690 to 1724. That's quite so a long he was time. 34 yeah. uh, years old. Um, he was a notorious um, English pirate mm-hmm. during the latter days of the Golden Age of Piracy, which is what you said before, yeah. in the early 18th century. Um, he was born in poverty in Westminster in London, mm-hmm. and he because of that he was like a thief from a very early age. Mm-hmm. So he was used to not you know, sticking to the law, being a little bit naughty. Wasn't his um, his brother hanged for robbery? Yeah, because so runs in the family. Yeah, but if you're born into poverty yeah. in the early 18th century, it's not much choice. Is no, it? not really. Um, but he then, um, as a quite a young man, he moved to Boston, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. and um, while he was there, he he got married. Mm. And but it's really quite a sad story. In 1719, um, his wife died in childbirth. So uh, two years later, he then became a pirate. Oh, bless him. Yeah, and he I mean, op- not blessing for piracy, but blessing no. for, <laughs> yeah, for his, his, his wife. Yeah, and he operated off the coasts of New England, the and uh, the Caribbean. Okay. So yeah, he was uh, quite sad with regards to his wife, um, but he captured, uh, captained mm-hmm. a number of ships, usually maintaining a small fleet of just three or four. Okay. Yeah, and um, his pirate crews would capture at least a hundred ships during his short career. Oh, so from 1919, when his wife died, so two years later, so he didn't become a pirate until 1921, and he died in 1924. So like you said, with Hornigold, he was only three years as a pirate. So that's three or four ships, 100, three or four in the fleet, 100 ships, that's pretty much 20 to 1 ships. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's that's an effective fleet. He burnt most of them. Well, you couldn't really keep him hanging around, you know, people would start to notice. Yep. Um, although he was um, active only for three years... Um, he does remain notorious as one of the most vicious pirates of the age. Uh, he had a reputation of vi- violently torturing his victims before he'd murder them. And uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle actually just wrote about um, Ned Lowe oh, right. and described him as savage and desperate and a man of amazing and grotesque brutality. Oh, wow. Harsh words. Yeah, but I think it's, he also had some... Some like a soft spot to him because um, you were saying earlier with regards to the, the childbirth and wife. Yeah, um, because his wife died in childbirth, and um, when he became a pirate, he left his his daughter behind, and I don't think he ever saw her again. Um, he he refused to press gang married men into his service. Basically, press gang. It was something that the the navy, particularly the British navy, used to do, and um, they would effectively violently force and capture men and force them into um into servitude on the ships into becoming in the navy and they would beat humiliate torture them on the ships to get them to play ball he refused obviously pirates use that technique because a lot of them started out in the navy um he refused to do that to married men so that they wouldn't have to leave their families behind so it's a sweet spot but yeah also, by the same token, there was a guy who, uh, when they sacked his ship, he decided to throw his money overboard rather than let the pirates have it, and he cut off his lips, fried them up, and made him eat them. So, uh, getting too harsh, really. Yeah. <laughs> bless, bless him. Yes. Yeah. So that was um, Ned Lowe. Yeah. 
Okay, next up is uh, one of my personal favourites, Jack Rackham. He was a British pirate based in New Providence, specifically in Nassau Port, and his nickname was Calico Jack Rackham, so-called for his uh, his favourite fabric choice, Calico. He used to wear it a lot, and to be fair, in that kind of heat out there, Calico wasn't probably such a bad idea. No. Um, he was a quartermaster to Charles Vane, who was another notable pirate. There's quite a few of them circulating in Nassau at this time. Um, the quartermaster was second in command to the captain. Your captain obviously was head of the ship, but the quartermaster represented the crew's views to the ship. And um, the one thing about pirates is they are a democracy. So the captain was elected, and then the quartermaster was also elected to represent the interests of the crew to the captain. So the captain dealt with all like the, the warfare and the actual sailing of the ship and everything like that. The, the course, the quartermaster dealt with the crew and the crew's grievances. Um, so Rackham was that quartermaster to Charles Vane. However, um, he later deposed him as captain because they were in a fight and um, Vane didn't want, he didn't want to attack. He wanted to flee because it was a safer option. His crew thought that made him weak, so they deposed him and put Rackham as captain instead. So um, that he sailed as captain until his capture and execution, and that was on November 28th, 1720. Um, and he is, it, it may be legend, but um, he is supposedly the first to fly the notorious skull and crossbones. Because the pirate flag was not just the Jolly Roger that we know now. In fact, you would just fly a black flag if it was pirate. A lot of the time they would fly under false colours. So they would fly like the British flag or the Spanish flag until they got close enough. And then they would raise the black, it was called. And it was just a black flag. Or and But if you saw a black flag, it was good. Because it meant that they would likely give you mercy if you asked for it. They'd give you quarter. If they flew the red flag then no, you, you were screwed. Hmm. Um, but then they started to embellish their flags and put different things on to represent different pirate fleets, different captains. And there is a more notorious one that we'll come up to later who had his own flag. But good old Calico Jack had the skull and crossbones. That's really cool. That's quite a legacy. It is, to be fair. Yep. So um, he's your favourite. Mm-hmm. So he's your favourite now. So back then, he must have been a favourite of quite a lot of the ladies. Um most notoriously was Anne Bonny. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was married, but she fell in love with him and fled with him on his ship. Um, he also had another person on board at the same time, Mary Reed, mm-hmm. but she went by Mark uh, yep. because it was bad luck to have a woman upon a ship. So if the women pretended to be men because, you know, don't want a woman on a ship, it's bad luck, apparently. Bit rude. But anyway, um, they sailed together, but when... Um, Jack Rackham was captured and executed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were supposed to be executed on the same day. Right. But they both pleaded pregnancy. They both were like, oh, I'm pregnant, I can't, we've got a baby in my belly. And there was no uh, pregnancy test at the time. So mm-hmm. you just had to take the woman's word for it. And so they were spared. Mm-hmm. It's not actually known whether or not they actually were pregnant. Mm-hmm. But they definitely uh, said they were to try and get off. Which worked for one of them. Mary, unfortunately, caught a fever soon after and died anyway. Unfortunate. But um, Anne Bonny, mm-hmm. uh, she escaped and she did die aged 84 after remarrying and having eight children. Well, go Anne. Yeah, so um, Anne yeah. was quite cool. She was a bit vicious, apparently, one of the most... She was uh, not a uh, goody-goody little lady... Well, I suppose as women, her and Reed had uh, had a lot to prove. Yeah. And then before we get to the the biggie, there was actually another woman 
um, who was, she was originally a Chinese prostitute and she actually became one of, if not the most successful female pirate um, on the on the Seven Seas. And I'm trying to remember what her name was because she's actually represented as a character in Pirates of the Caribbean, believe it or not. Okay. Um, her her name was Ching Shi. That was it, Ching Shi. And she was, uh, yep, she was. She started out as a prostitute, became a pirate, did fantastically at it, and was a a very feared, very notorious pirate who commanded over eighty thousand outlaws. As a lot of outlaws. Yeah, g- girl done good. Or, I mean, or bad. Know, or, or bad, yeah, or very, very bad. I mean, going from, from prostitute to pirate lord, it's, it's, you have to kind of question her career choices. But, <laughs> you know. Prostitute to pirate lord. <laughs> yep. It's, uh, it's, I suppose it's a promotion of sorts. I suppose. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Anyways. Now here's the biggie. Mm-hmm. The one that pretty much everyone's heard of. Okay. Either going by the original name of Edward Teach or Edward Thatch. Because at the time, like, records could be a little bit botched and you had about five different ways of spelling your name. However, most people would know him better as Blackbeard. Yes. Ooh, Blackbeard. He originally sailed with Benjamin Hornigold, and he only actually sailed as a captain for two years. Oh. And he actually wasn't hugely successful. It's just that there's a lot of legends around him, and it's quite possible that he had a huge hand in embellishing his legends. Right, okay. Which, to be fair, you know, it's... It's all stories told in taverns of pirates. Right. And get a few drinks and someone, tell them one story. It's like Chinese whispers. It makes it suddenly worse. Mm-hmm. Um, his ship is most famously um, the Queen Anne Revenge. Queen Anne's Revenge, sorry. Who, uh, that was a French saver. And it was originally actually called the Concorde. But he renamed it. Um, because his first ship was the Revenge that he sailed on with Hornigold. And then he got the Queen Anne's Revenge. Cool. Because, you know, why not? And uh, he once blockaded Charlestown and he actually used his position where he he put his ship as a stopper to stop other ships getting into the bay and essentially blockaded the port. If he had a smaller ship it wouldn't have worked but um, because of the size of the Queen Anne's Revenge it worked and he took about eight to ten vessels okay. that tried to come into the port and he cut off uh, food for the town and any trade for the town. His ransom to stop him doing this, however, you'd think it would be like loads and loads of gold or bigger, bigger ship, mm. things like that. No, it was a medicine chest for his crew. Aww, he wanted yeah. to keep them healthy. He did. The thing is, a lot of pirate treasure, so to speak, like treasure in inverted commas, it wasn't gold, it wasn't pieces of eight and jewels. You know, ignore like the, the popular Goonies big pirate treasure room and you know, the big treasure cave in Pirates of the Caribbean. A lot of your treasure was things like silk, spices, um, gunpowder, medicine, things like that, things that people would trade, things that they could nick and then go on and trade themselves um, or give back for a higher ransom. Any money that they had, they didn't bury. There was only about three or four cases of burial that we know about and each and every one of them was found, not mentioning any names of Francis Drake. Hmm. And it was, it was not very common for them to bury it, to be honest with you. They usually go into port and spend it on women and booze, or men and booze, you know, in Anne and Mary's case. So, uh, yeah, he he just wanted that medicine chest, and they gave it to him. He said, if you didn't give it to me, I will behead all your hostages and burn their ships. So, no trade, no fresh food coming in, apart from what they had on the land. Behead their hostages, burn their ships. 
And normally what I want is medicine. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> hearts in the right place, I suppose. But speaking of hearts, his flag... Right. ...was a, like, a horned skeleton stabbing a bleeding red heart with a spear whilst holding an hourglass. Now, the hourglass featured quite a lot on different flags, and um, even Ned Lowe's flag had a naked man holding an hourglass next to skull and crossbones. He also had a different one, which is a yellow guy on a green background playing trumpet. But, yeah, anyway, that's, that's a weird one. But the hourglass was actually a symbol that death was coming for you. Oh. So it's like, the time is running out. If you see that oh, flag, yeah, death yeah. is coming for you. Which is quite a poignant... I mean, you've got the skull and crossbones, or the skull and cross cutlasses, which is pretty scary. But if you see a horned demon stabbing a heart holding an hourglass, you're going to think, uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Um, he reportedly had 14 wives. Okay. Um, he wasn't always a nice guy to them. Uh, Shocker. His, yeah. His last one was... I think she was only about 15 or 16 when he married her. She was, she was really quite young. And, um, I mean, by today's standards, not so much by, by the standards back then, but um, he would prostitute her out to his men, like, four or five at a time. Aww. I mean, he'd let them use the captain's cabin for it, which, you know, nice. That's nice. At least she got decent bed. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he, uh, he was eventually caught and killed by Robert Maynard. Okay. But uh, more about that one later. Yes. So <clears throat> he... He had a tendency towards towards violence. He was quite extreme. Um, he also set fire to his beard to make him seem more scary. <laughs> he like, put little smokers in his beard. <laughs> All right, as you do. That makes him sound really hinged. And uh, he would shoot members of his crew just for just for the heck of it. If if they if they weren't as loyal to him as he wanted them to be, which quite frankly would be as loyal as he wanted them to be. You know, you, you wouldn't argue with him. But yeah, if he wasn't happy with you, he'd shoot you. Wow. So eventually his crew really dwindled. He didn't do that well. And yeah, he was captured. Probably his own fault. You know, he, sh- he shouldn't shoot his, his crew. He should leave that to the people he was attacking. Yeah, but seems as if he wasn't the you know sharpest tool in the actual box. But talking of uh, changing the subject now from mm-hmm. the most notable pirates... To um, punishment. Oh, you're saying yeah. how he was quite violent. Mm-hmm. Um, so life as a pli- life as a pirate uh, during the golden age of pirates wasn't a bed of roses at all. Mm-hmm. Um, if you stepped out of line as a pirate, you were at the very least likely to be flogged, mm-hmm. or at worst, marooned on a Caribbean island to die of thirst and heat exhaustion. Oh, horrible slow way to go. Yeah. Although pirates were democratic in as far as the way that the ship was run and how booty was divided, mm-hmm. pirate punishments ensured that there was a hefty penalty for betrayal and insubordination. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got seven of the best pirate punishments. Oh, okay. They Number one, me. flogging. Okay. Flogging with a cat and nine tails, uh, with a rope's end, was perhaps the most common form of punishment of the time mm-hmm. uh, these were just for mild indiscretions upon ships although it was less common on pirate ships because it was associated with discipline enforced aboard um navy vessels okay so flogging actually is a navy thing that uh, pirates took on for minor things but mm. they didn't do it as often because it they didn't want to be associated with the same as the navy as you say a lot of them were navy soldiers turned pirates yeah so it, it makes sense that they carry those punishments yeah. over yeah another one was dunking all right more of a tradition than a punishment, really, uh, when uh, crossing the equator. Okay. 
A pirate was attached to a wooden beam and dunked into the water repeatedly. Mm-hmm. When performed during a ceremony, which they would do whenever they crossed the equator, uh, this was seen as honour. Okay. When performed as a punishment, you'd be uh, sure that the dunking was a lot harder and a lot deeper. So when they were doing it just for tradition, mm-hmm. they would do it slowly and not as deep. So you'd probably just go in it's quite slow, up to your head, out again, mm-hmm. time to breathe. It would be more of a... You'd be proud to do that because you're the pirate that's been chosen. Cho- yeah. Chosen. <laughs> but if it's a punishment, it would be quick and deep. So it would uh, most likely be a bit more difficult for you to be able to breathe. Well, if, you're, if you're dropped quickly onto water as well, I mean, that, that hurts. Mm. So uh, the most typical, or another typical pirate punishment, was being tied to a mast. Mm-hmm. This was to tie the perpetrator to the pirate ship's mast for a set length of time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a misbehaving pirate or enemy was tied to a mast while being flogged. I suppose then you couldn't, you couldn't wriggle away from the, from the whip. It would be... You'd have to take it. Yeah. So then you had uh, walking the plank, mm-hmm. uh, which is this is uh, most famous um, by uh, books and movies about pirates. Mm-hmm. Any movie that you see has you know you walk the plank. Yeah. As far as Pirates of the Caribbean and even as in Peter Pan, mm-hmm. Disney's Peter Pan, they use you know um, walking the plank, mm-hmm. and that was um, pretty much as it sounds. It remains one of the most commonly named pirate punishments, but in fact, it was actually very infrequent. It makes sense because you'd have to, you know, you'd have to wheel out the plank and set it up and then you'd have to shore it up on your end so that it didn't then tip over because normally when you use the plank, it would go onto another another surface. So you didn't have to, like, tie it down or anything. Mm. You'd have to weight it down and then get the person off and, yeah, yeah effort. Yeah. But like I said before, there was also marooning. Mm-hmm. Um, being marooned on a desert island meant certain death for pirates and sailors alike. Um, unless they were rescued. Mm-hmm. Uh, pirate offenders were left to die without water and food on uninhabitable islands. Pirates, however, were given a means to commit suicide. Uh, they'd be left with a knife or a pistol. Okay. Some mercy, I suppose. There or thereabouts. Yeah. Okay. I think next you may have possibly... I think my favourite... Say my favourite is uh, the wrong way of saying it, but certainly the one that intrigues me the most out of all the the punishments simply because it is so vicious keel hauling yes it is worse than being marooned uh, the torturous death brought about uh, by keel hauling was a fate no pirate wanted to experience mm-hmm. a rope was tied beneath the belly of the ship mm-hmm. the offending pirate would be tied to the rope and hauled underwater dragging und- dragging underneath the pirate ship the ship's hull would be covered in like sharp barnacles and stuff from the bottom of the ocean and stuff that grow on the bottom of the ship for being underwater for so long. Yeah. And it would cut like razors and it would be excruciating and extremely slow. I mean, you'd, to be fair, the first time you'd just get the lacerations in the skin and then obviously the more they did it, you'd be going over and over and over those lacerations, making them deeper and deeper. And let's not forget, the ocean, the sea, is salt water. So as soon as you're getting cuts open, you're getting salt water, straight in mm-hmm. them. And then, let's not forget, obviously they're not going to be clean. Um, the pirates aren't going to be clean, the barnacles aren't going to be clean. You know, even if you were to survive keel hauling, the chances of infection were incredibly high. And also, blood in water with sharks, not, not the best idea. 
Also, the salt water. Yeah, it's all oh, that would. I mean, it yeah. literally makes, <laughs> it literally hurts. Hurts. Just thinking about it. Yeah, and but, the. Sorry, go on. That was a. I said just the uh, the last one in my top seven. Mm-hmm. I guess there is another one which is I think is kind of amusing. We're going to leave that for the ridiculous death. Uh, this one's hanging. Mm. This one's not hilarious. It's the ultimate form of punishment for captured and convicted pirates. They were often executed by hanging on a gibber erected close to the low water mark. Okay. Each ship obviously had where the low water mark was or yeah. port or wherever they were at the time. And um, the bodies would be left dangling, someone's mm-hmm. been hung, until they'd been submerged by the tide three times. So at that point, all like carnivorous fish would come up and nibble, they'd be drowned, they'd be bloated. Not mm-hmm. a pretty sight. No. Execution dock. Mm-hmm. Is that, there's actually an execution dock. And this is located on the mo- north bank of the River Thames in London. Mm-hmm. And it was the final resting place for men, such as a Captain Kidd. All right. Um, who suffered his fate in 1701. He was a Scottish pirate, wasn't he? He was, yeah. William Kidd. Yeah. Yep. And uh, the reason he was left is so that the uh, public display might be prolonged. Bodies were sometimes covered in tar and bound in chains. And sometimes body-shaped iron cages were used to contain the decomposing corpses. So they were put there to, like, show other pirates this is what could happen to you if you don't, um, you know, sort your life out. Yeah, if you don't... Either plead amnesty or uh, just stop your stop your vicious and malingering ways. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, a lot of those punishments and the the battles that pirates were involved in, things like that, they did lead to a lot of problems. Um, you'd have, for example, you'd have a lot of, uh, for example, you'd have injuries, mm-hmm. and a lot of the time pirates would lose limbs. So whilst the pegged like Long John Silver <laughs> wasn't real it would be quite a problem. They, there would have to be a lot of amputations because obviously they didn't have access unless you're a blackbeard ship to medicine. <laughs> However, the eye patch is uh, its an interesting thing. There is actually a theory around that and it has some credence because the modern military, specifically Marines, use this technique where their eyes were perfectly all right but they'd wear a patch over one eye so that it would get adjusted to darkness because then when they raided a ship they could then go into um, like below deck where it is dark at that point because there's no candles and there's no direct sunlight. They could then switch the patch over to the eye that's used to daylight and the eye that's used to darkness would be able to see in the dark. That's clever. It's really clever. And so it's a technique that's still used by uh, by the military today. Yeah, it is, definitely. Um, another form that, obviously, you know, pirates drink a lot of rum. Mm-hmm. And whether that was a myth or not, it actually, it really wasn't. Um, they they would drink other forms of liquor if they could obtain it, yeah. but the average pirate crew member drank what he could afford, and he could afford rum. That was the drink of choice because it was the cheapest thing to buy. Makes sense with all the sugar plantations. Yep. It's made out of sugar cane. Yeah, and then in uh, 1940, mm-hmm. they realised that obviously there was quite a lot of illness and disease on, on ships, and that pirates drank a lot of rum. So um, they used to water it down with citrus, mm-hmm. and that warded off um, scurvy. Yeah. They they called that grog. You've probably heard of grog. Yeah. So they drank rum, but in the, from seventeen forty they added citrus to ward off scurvy. So uh, they get to use the rum to make them better. Scurvy being a, a vitamin C deficiency disease that causes lots of like welts and things yeah. around your mouth and dif- disfiguration and death eventually. So um, right, we've I think we've pretty much covered everything. We've covered notable pirates and things like that. So now it's time for the ridiculous death. 
Yes, well, this is we couldn't specifically find an hilarious death as of as of with an individual mm-hmm. because pirates didn't really die funny. They died either brutally, quickly, or as an example. Yeah, I mean, I found Edward Teach's death quite ironic in the way that um, he died because he killed too many of his own men. So when people came aboard his ship, he had no one to defend him. So he was captured and killed. Yeah. I find that quite ironic in the sort of funny way. Kind of like yeah. the Alanis Morissette kind of ironic. Because he, he went to such lengths to protect his crew and then the fact that he killed his crew is what eventually killed him. Yeah. <laughs> but the ridiculous thing is actually how legend says he dies. Yes. Because um, he, on the fight, on his ship with Robert Maynard, um, a shot passed through him. So someone shot him. It went straight through him. Um, someone else, Robert Maynard, took a uh, a swing at his neck, so he took a sword blow to his neck. So, shot past through him, sword blow to his neck. You think that would fell him? Mm. No. He was able to withstand a further five pistol shots and 20 sword wounds before he eventually dropped dead. Wow. I think that even rivals Rasputin. There is a further legend, and this is like probably pure myth. Nah, it won't be. That says when his head was then removed, his body jumped into the sea and swam five times around his ship before finally like coming to a stop. Yeah, okay, that one's a myth. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, total of six pistol shots and 21 sword blows to kill Edward Teach. Well, congratulations, Mr Teach. You have made it to the ridiculous deaths. And that is the end of our podcast tonight. So we are off to uh, swab the decks. And we shall speak to you next Tuesday. Bye-bye.